Welcome to Worthy. This is a special edition of the Worthy podcast. Uh, not going to be talking about a single movie slash best picture winner, but we're actually going to be talking about the 93rd Academy Award nominations that were just announced on Monday, March 15th uh, at 5 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, yeah, so without further ado, let's just jump right into it, John Boy. Uh, so we have eight best picture nominees this year. Uh, we have The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7 are eight Best Picture nominees. Now, out of those eight, John, how many have you not seen up until this point? So I haven't, haven't seen The Father, and I haven't seen Sound of Metal, uh, but all the other Best Picture nominees I've seen so far. How about you? I have not seen The Father yet, uh, but every other one I have seen up until this point. And just to give some quick numbers uh, before we go into category and give more fun facts and our opinions on this uh so these are the movies or the films with multiple nominations mank uh the david fincher movie about herman uh, j mankiewicz uh, has 10 nominations that is the most we then have six movies with uh six nominations each we have two movies with five one with four two with three and then eight with one with two nominations uh, so it's kind of a very large list of those but the big one that stand out is mank with 10 John, do you think Mank could pull a 10 for 10 uh, on Oscar night? Uh, not a chance. Uh, yeah, it'll no. <laughs> probably be one of those films that get the highest, but also ends up winning um, some of the lowest out of the Best Picture nominees. Error, maybe might not win any at all. Yeah, might not win any at all. It's definitely yeah. possible, yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely not a new thing, um, but just, uh, yeah, so it's kind of like initial numbers to look at. It's a very diverse group of acting nominees, of technical nominees this year, which is awesome to see. Uh, let's just get right into it. So we figured we would just kind of skip over the uh, short categories because we, well, at least documentary short and live action short because we just haven't seen those yet. Um, and that's something that we will do our best to get around to and see. Yeah. Uh, but animated short, let's start there. Uh, we have seen uh, at least one of those, and that was Burrow, which was the uh, mini animated short before Soul. Uh, John, what did you think of Burrow? Burrow's really cute. Yeah. It's an adorable little movie. I, I love the way that Disney always wants like a really concise uh, plot kind of built into their shorts. You kind of have to or it's not really a successful short. So they always have such endearing plot lines and they never rely on like heavy dialogue. It's usually just like really good animation with a really cute story. And then we kind of follow the characters. So I loved it. It's my favorite. It seems like it's kind of the front runner for the animated category, but it's the only one I've seen. So. Yeah, it's the only one I've seen, too. I know that If Anything Happens, I Love You, which is also nominated, is, was a very popular Netflix uh, Netflix short film, but I am hesitant to watch it because I know it's about uh, a school shooting, and so uh, it sounds kind of sad, so I don't really want to watch that yet, but uh, probably going to be another Disney win right there, so that train just keeps on rolling for Disney. Uh, going on to Best International Feature, uh, so it seems like another round is going to be the presumptive winner of this category, especially because uh, Thomas Vinterberg, the director, got a Best Director nomination. It seems like this is kind of just like another round's going to get it. It's probably been the one that most American audience have seen. Um, I, I think that's pretty much all that we can really say. Unfortunately, I haven't seen many of these other um, nominated international feature movies, and it's just because of the pandemic and just our for lack of trying, I guess, on our end. I don't know yeah, what else to call yeah, it. Yeah, I always make a goal in the beginning of the year to watch more international or feature films from other countries, and I always fail and, and not do enough, and I end up watching like only a handful, which is 
definitely an issue of mine that I'm working through. And another round was definitely one of the first movies that I wanted to watch uh, internationally that I kept seeing pop up. And I just keep hearing about such a great lead performance and just such a like funny, endearing, sweet film. So I'm definitely going to catch that very soon, hopefully before the show. Yeah, yeah, 1,000%. So it seems like another round is going to get that one this year. Uh, moving on to documentary feature, um, another category that is not our essentially our forte, but uh, I know that time has become a big uh, a, a big fan favorite. It's on Amazon right now, um, so I know time is uh, one of those documentary features that most likely will take it home. Uh, John, any feelings? I know that you had another movie uh, that you would have put into documentary feature for at least a nomination. I think I've only seen one documentary this year that came out in 2020. Um, and that was Dick Johnson is Dead. And I can't recommend this movie enough. It's a really sweet, endearing film um, made by the same director that made Filmmaker. And it's essentially about her father and coming to the terms with his um, dementia and him aging. And essentially what it is is her portraying his death in many different ways. So throughout the entire movie, it's behind the scenes of their production. But it really follows them kind of manufacturing these random deaths, essentially. And it's too you know, come to terms with dementia and getting older and kind of accepting death and having a funeral essentially before someone dies, because that's the person you want to remember, not someone who's um, maybe aged and just deteriorated for lack of better words, but really beautiful movie. And I've heard Crip Camp is really great on Netflix as well about a disability camp. Um, So I'm definitely going to check that out as soon as I can. But yeah, need to watch more documentary films. Definitely not my forte, like you said, but I'll definitely be checking some of these out. Yeah, one thousand percent. You know, it's a category that we'll have to take a deeper dive into. This again, this is just our initial reactions. Just seeing these uh, this nomination list. Uh, going on now to best song, uh, kind of a a bit of a mixed group right now. There's not like a a song like "Shallow" from a few years ago that like really stood out. Um, so right now, it kind of seems like "Fight for You" from Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, performed by her uh, is going to get it. She just won at the Grammys for this song. It kind of seems like that's going to lock it right in. Uh, what do you think, John? I like her a lot. She's a great artist. The song is really good. I just watched Judas and Black Messiah before we hopped into the booth here. You know, I don't really remember too many of these other songs. Eurovision, honestly, I'm kind of glad that Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, is nominated here because that movie's so ridiculous and so dumb. But the music... Well, it's fantastic. I still sing some of those random <laughs> tunes from that. But I chose uh, off the list. I think Ben and I will be picking some of our favorites, uh, whether on the list. I'm going off the list because there's films here that I would like to see. And there's a song here that I don't see nominated. And that is uh, by John Baptiste from the Soul soundtrack called It's All Right. And I love that song. It's a song that I like continuously hear in my head. I think it's like a perfect summation of that entire film and kind of loving yourself and loving life and uh, while life doesn't go the exact way you want to it's kind of about appreciating your journey and I thought that song was amazing so yeah definitely have been nominated yeah yeah de- definitely agree it, it probably could have been or should have been nominated um, another song I think that stands out for me is speak now from one night in Miami definitely uh, yeah, powerful just, song yeah yeah and just Leslie Odom is uh, an amazing singer to begin with, he's actually really good in that Hamilton movie, John. Uh, I know you love the Hamilton movie because uh, sh- he's shaking his head at me, guys. You can't even see him. 
and I think that's probably all we'll say about Hamilton in this. Uh, Not even making icons. In, in this little mini uh, podcast. But we move on. Uh, best original score. Uh, this one is probably the one that we can really sink our teeth into right now. Uh, some, so I'm just going to read off the nominees. Uh, so we have Terrence Blanchard for The Five Bloods. Uh, we have Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Mank. We have Emil Mercieri for Minari, uh, James New and Howard for News of the World. And then we have, again, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste for Soul. So immediately, you have Trent Reznor and, and Atticus Ross uh, having two opportunities in this category to win for Best Original Score. Are they going to get it with those two opportunities? It looks like they will. Uh, from all indications, it seems like Soul's going to win. That's why I'm not too angry that it's all right from the Soul soundtrack is not included on that Best Song. So I think it's so worthy. I think that soul soundtrack really, really brings the whole film together. It's like this weird digital like manipulation of kind of like reality. And it's super weird and super out there, especially for Pixar, which is kind of classic Reznor and Atticus Ross. And yeah, I loved it. They're so amazing. They deserve all the awards, especially after the Watchmen show they just did too. Like they deserve it. Yeah. Mile. Yeah. They've they really done really well. And they had previously won for the social network, which John reminded me before. We started recording, and another thing that really stands out to me about with Soul specifically is that there's been this huge uh, recent love for jazz, and I and I love jazz, and but jazz has seemed to be like this really has really stood in the forefront of a lot of films uh, of recent. You know, you have La La Land, you had Whiplash. Uh, so I'm really happy because Soul, you know, that whole point was showing off jazz. Uh, it, so it's really nice to see you know the genre of jazz to be recognized in these more modern times because I feel like it had been lost for a while. And it's a, it's a genre that I put on all the time, especially Terrence Blanchard, who was awesome with the the five bloods, but I don't think uh, that one's going to win. Yeah. I love the soundtrack to the five bloods. It was very epic and grand and definitely had this huge kind of brass um, music throughout the entire thing. Obviously Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Mank, um, a really great score as well. That kind of kept that film going, but I definitely want to give a shout out to Emil Moseri for a Minari because it was such a sweet, um, gentle kind of soundtrack yeah. to help kind of guide you through the world of that film that was really well kind of established and made and really beautiful um, compositions throughout that entire score. Yeah, 100%. Uh, definitely great all around. Moving on uh, to best visual effects. So the nominees are Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and Tenet. So Tenet is a movie that had multiple nominations. It has two for production design and visual effects. And this is probably the only category that it's going to win for out of the two. Um, John, initially, uh, what do you think about Tenet only getting two nominations? And then what do you think about it winning visual effects? I think it's fair. I mean, maybe you could throw that in later on when we get to the um, original screenplay just because I think it's so unique and original but there's a lot of issues with the screenplay in my opinion it's the only film out of this list that I've seen so it's kind of hard to compare to the other ones Mulan looked pretty epic in its scope for visual effects um, I can't really say much about anything else but I love Tenet in terms of visual effects I don't think I've seen some of the things in that movie and compared to any other movie it's really stunning how they combined you know forward motion with backward motion and kind of layered that all and made it look natural and organic into the film it's it's i mean how can you not award something that you can say i've never seen that before yeah oh yeah 100 percent. and i think that you know it felt like before tenet came out that that was going to be this it was going to be this movie that everyone was gonna be like oh my god christopher nolan finally has this like movie that people are really gonna love he's gonna get a lot of 
uh, love at the Oscars and get all these nominations. And I think that, you know, I think that Tenet probably could have gotten, you know, some for uh, some for sound or for for even for film editing, cinematography, none of the acting. It, you could have made an argument for best director, but I don't know if you would have made that that main five out of the group. Um, but yeah, but visual effects, it's definitely it, it has to take it. Um, another movie on that list that I actually really liked was The Midnight Sky, uh, George Clooney uh, movie, and had some really great uh, space scenes. They had a whole like um, a space shuttle walk when they had to repair a part, and the visuals in that whole scene was really good. So that would be a surprise pick for me uh, if it's not Tenet, but it, it has to be Tenet, I feel like. Yeah, I think Tenet could also go with score that are really booming. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, that was an awesome score. Yeah, so that I'm w- surprised it's not it's kind of listed there at all for the score. Yeah, it, it's surprising. I think that, again, like this is – it was the COVID year. It, it, so many weird things happened. Um, but, yeah, but Tenet probably has visual effects locked up. Moving on to best sound. So one actually great, cool, interesting, fun thing about uh, sound this year, it's no longer sound mixing, sound editing. They decide to combine the award. Uh, which confused a ton of people, um, and I'm like, okay, that it was combined into one. What do you think initially of that? Most people don't even know the difference between mixing and editing yeah. when it comes to sound on a film, anyway. So, I guess easier. I mean, there are very different in terms of like the role and those people being both awarded. So it kind of sucks that it's being broken or kind of condensed into one category because we may not have as much representation. I'm not really sure how they're going to do this. Whether it's like the entire kind of collective group that worked on sound like maybe the person who mixed it and edited it both win i'm not really sure on those details but if yeah. that's the case then yeah i don't really care it's easier for people to, to choose then yeah it felt or it feels like that this combination of the award is kind of a audience kind of thing where they're trying to appease all the audiences yeah. who are watching and rather than what the academy should be doing which is celebrating and uh, we've talked about in other episodes, you know, we, we talk about, you know, best assistant director, best dance direction. They're like little minute things, but it's like really cool that they honored that aspect of filmmaking. Uh, but sound is something that, yeah, I feel like it should be, um, it should still be the two categories, but I'm okay that it was combined. Uh, but let's get into the nominees for best sound. Uh, so we have Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. Um, I think out of those five, it seems like Sound of Metal is going to take it. Um, what do you have for that one, John? I haven't seen Sound of Metal. That's still one of the ones I haven't seen for Best Picture. Really looking forward to that, though. I heard Riz Ahmed's great. But I went off the list because I haven't really seen much other than uh, Mank and Soul as well on this on these nominations. And I went with The Invisible Man, which is uh, <laughs> a very weird pick for a lot of people probably because it fits in the horror category. But you know what's really great about horror categories and what makes a horror movie is the sound and the sound design and you know, it's a movie about an invisible man, and that movie was pretty terrifying, I thought, and that's because of the amazing sound design throughout the entire film. It really holds up. I've seen it like three times now since it originally came out, and I love it. It's a, it's a great time. Yeah, yeah. I, it's definitely something I, I probably would have considered as well, um, but I really like Sound of Metal. Um, I thought that the, uh, we're going to get to like, you know, the sound mixing part of it was like really good. There's some really emotional scenes um, that I don't want to spoil the John, but the sound mixing plays a huge role into that film. Um, I mean, it's like it, cheating. It's like a cheat code. Yeah. Yeah. About I, someone losing their own hearing. It's kind of, it's not it, that that's a bad thing. It just yeah. kind of has that kind of cheat code. It's funny. It. I, I was thinking about this because it is a fairly quiet movie. Um, and I, it was a year or two years ago when a quiet place 
was nominated for best sound and, and i went off i went off to a friend and i was just like i was like if that movie gets best sound like that it's like the biggest bs I've, I've ever seen and i really didn't like that movie but then i looked at sound of metal and where it's mostly silent as well and i'm like that was actually a really well the whole point of it was supposed to be designed around the sound and like yeah he's losing it but it's also the way it's mixed it it's much more purposeful than just a quiet place which is did that win for best mixing or editing i don't think it won at all Oh, I thought you were saying it. Did. No, no, no. I, okay. I was saying I was saying that if, if it, it did. if it did, okay. then there's another few, there's another few movies in this year that if it did win, I think me and John are going to go nuts uh, in a bad way. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get those when we get there. So moving on to best makeup and hairstyling, uh, really great because this actually has five nominees, and not every year do they have five nominees for this category. So the nominees for best makeup and hairstyling, we get Emma Hillbilly Elegy. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. Not the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio, but the recently made Italian version, which actually came out in 2019. I looked this up. So it's like, it came out in 2019, but I think it might have screened. Maybe it's a U.S. release, yeah. Yeah, it was a U.S. release type of thing. It's one of those weird ones. It's a whole weird year, but I I mean, I don't think Pinocchio is going to win. I actually think right now it's going to be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, Who do you have right now for makeup and hairstyling? So I'm doing this again on my own personal choice. I think Ma Rainey's definitely going to win. But uh, I th- I got to go with Mank just because I love just how that world was built, all the different kind of hairstyling and all the different kind of costumes. We'll get to that as well. But it was really engaging and it really like sold me on the era that it took place in. Yeah. Um, I could definitely buy Mank uh, getting it just because it, it it's a big callback to um, that whole look in the in the 30s and 40s. Uh, but for me, it was, it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I just think that the way they, they dressed up Viola Davis was, it, it's it's very, it looks exactly like she was uh, from that, from the 1920s. It, it had that feel, that style when I've seen old photos. Uh, so it really, really made me buy into the feel and look and, and idea of the film. So I, I think that's going to be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom there. Uh, moving on to best editing. This is always a category that I... I can never get right. Uh, it's last, very hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Last year, uh, you know, I know Ford versus Ferrari won, but I was very adamant that Parasite should have won because I felt Parasite, the whole structure and tone of that movie was all was all done by the editing. But that's just me. But th- we're talking about this year. Uh, so nominees for best editing, we have The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, uh, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, and right now, uh, it seems like the trial of the Chicago seven is going to be taking home that award. Uh, what do you think and feel about this award and Chicago seven probably getting this? Well, Chloe Zhao did Nomadland's editing as well. So that's really impressive just cause it's kind of loose and it's, it's structure and it's plot and it's pretty impressive the way she kind of ties it all in. Kevin Smith, uh, edited clerks. Uh, yeah that's that's definitely not gonna get nominated for best editing though let me tell you that i know i'm just um, pulling your chain i also put my favorite on the list at least or the best i could think of uh, for this year was also the trial of chicago seven just because it was it was such a dense movie when it came to how many characters how many locations how many different scenes how many like pivotal scenes that you had to keep repeating as well and it all felt very digestible. You could kind of follow everything that was going on, the voiceover, like literally all kind of composition of the editing was really impressive and really kept you engaged while also giving everyone really kind of fair screen time that was in the movie. I, lo- I love that movie, but I could also see Promising Young Woman. I've heard great things about The Father and the way that it's kind of put together. 
um, from editing and Sound of Metal as well. Yeah, I've heard some great things, but I'm going to go with A Trial of Chicago 7. How about you? Yeah, I, again, like I, I think it's going to be The Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, it's already taken home the Critics' Choice Award for Best Editing. Um, it just seemed, yeah, again, like as you said, like it, it was so well balanced. Uh, Alan Baumgartner, Garden Baumgarten is the... Uh, um, the film editor for the trial of Chicago seven. So it just seems like, yeah, the way that that film balanced all the characters and, and all the interweaving storylines that that's the one that's going to take it home. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if promising young woman takes it. Um, wouldn't be surprised if sound of metal takes it uh, as well. So uh, that's a category that we always have to wait and see uh, coming up to best cinematography. Um, so the, the, this one is, I wanted to take a second just to talk about is because John has, a fantastic pick and it's not part of the nominee list and i want to give that movie its own due because uh, it is a great film uh so john why don't you talk for a second about uh, what you would have picked for best cinematography so i will talk about a couple of snubs throughout this little kind of bonus episode here but what i think is the most snub film of 2020 in this year's oscars is a film called bad education um, and it's directed by Corey finley and I really love this film for a number of reasons. Hugh Jackman leads it. It's a really interesting lead role with amazing performances, amazing cinematography. I'm going to go out of off the entire nomination list and say it's the best cinematography. It's it's not grand or complex. It's, it's really simple, a lot of even static shots, but it's all done so well and, and so intentional. And I was talking to Ben about just how particular each shot is, and even from a conversation you... You might be watching conversations in films and really not think about the editing, and that's kind of the purpose, or you might not think about the cinematography. It's just a, to show what's on screen, to show the actors talking. And we've definitely like rubbed into like issues like that when it came to some of the previous best pictures. But for me, the way Bad Education, um, the cinematography by Lyle Vinson is so impressive. The way he kind of messes around with uh, characters' like perspective and view, and view uh, in terms of their POV is... It's just astounding. I, I love the way he plays with perspective, and I think he's the director to watch. And it's ridiculous that Bad Education isn't nominated for literally anything in this entire category. It was an early HBO film, I think, released in early January, and it just went right under the table. Uh, it, it needs more recognition, and more people need to watch it. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic film if you haven't seen it yet. Um, unfortunately, yeah, it wasn't nominated for Best Cinematography, but it definitely deserves... Uh, some praise and discussion, but the films that were nominated for Best Cinematography were Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I have Nomadland winning Best Cinematography. A lot of people have it winning Best Cinematography. Um, I think that the way that that they really open up this the world of the film, it's it's supposed to be open world, obviously, but the way that it's all open but yet feels so intimate um, is very beautiful. I even watched uh, a video of the of the cinematographer talking about how he would structure a lot of the shots, and he actually used very minimal lighting uh, for the film. He actually gave a great uh, story how he felt nervous because he was uh, filming Francis McDormand, and then Joel Cohen, uh, Francis McDormand's husband, was right there behind him. So he had this like huge Oscar-winning uh, director standing behind him, and uh, while he had to do his work. Um, but yeah, I, I just think Nomadland is probably going to take it home. It, it's it's a beautiful looking film all around. Uh, what do you think uh, out of these out of the actual nominees of uh, cinematographers? Yeah, word on the street is that Nomadland is going to win. It's so loose in terms of it, not only its plot and structure, but also in its cinematography. It's very just like handheld, following the characters around 
to me, it just kind of felt unplanned and naturalistic, which seems to be um, Zhao's kind of point of view for her films, which is great. It's really nice. I mean, the way that you can kind of pass cinematography off as maybe it's planned, but it looks naturalistic and kind of documentary in a way is really interesting. And obviously there's beautiful things in this movie, whether that means it's the best cinematography. It's not really the case for me. Um, It's a lot of uh, open, really wide shots that kind of show you the huge landscapes that she sees throughout her journey and her life as a nomad. But you also get the intimate moments where she's kind of in her van and it's it's really particular. But the movie didn't really stand out to me for its cinematography. Um, in terms of News of the World, still haven't seen that. Trial of Chicago 7 I thought was pretty boring in terms of its cinematography. It just felt like, you know, it fit the need for the script, which was just documenting everything that was happening. Uh, there were some cool dramatic like trial scenes where you kind of have some fun camera movements and stuff like that. And I think that's the same with Judas and the Black Messiah. Nothing too um, inspirational to me. Mank, I think you could see a case for cinematography, just how gorgeous and authentic yeah. that film looked and how natural. Like I think they talked about how the film wanted to be like if you pulled it out of Scorsese's vault or something like that, yeah. that it would look like a print from a, a black and white movie of his. Yeah, it, there is not really a wrong choice here. I think they're all like great in terms of cinematography, just some are not as more not as interesting to me as others. Yeah, I think that Mank is probably the runner-up in this category. You know, a lot of beautiful shot choices in that film. It's supposed to be um, indicative of Citizen Kane, of films uh, from that era. Uh, but it seems like Nomad Land is going to take it. I mean, we've been really spoiled the last few years with cinematography, uh, you know, awards and winners. You know, we've had two Roger Deakin wins. We have three uh, um, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki wins. We had an Alfonso Cuaron, you know, win. So, so many great beautiful films have come out recently and that's why like this year feels a little bit weaker nomadland again looks beautiful mank looks beautiful but doesn't have that same energy and feel to it like a 1917 or a roma or a or a birdman um in past years moving on to best costume design uh the nominees are emma ma rainey's black bottom mank mulan and pinocchio um me and John agreed on this one that it seems like Mank is going to be the winner uh, for best costume design this year. I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom could kind of come from the behind and, and really change things, could grab the win. Because I think there's some really awesome costume designs in that that really kind of sells the era. I want to give a shout out to Tenen again too, man. Like there's some, f- I mean, you're just going to talk about a suit, but there are some really cool fucking suits <laughs> they're in that really movie. cool suits and they all look so badass and when they go to india there's awesome costumes and and set design there too that movie is awesome when it comes to like all the technical elements uh besides the script but uh yeah another movie that actually would give a shout out to is minari um when we first yeah. when we first watched minari i actually said out loud uh that steven young's character he's wearing a red hat i'm like is that supposed to be uh, a call out to the MAGA hats. Is that supposed to, I mean, we don't know cause it's supposed to take place in the eighties. Yeah. So it could be, it couldn't be. Um, but that's actually a movie that I thought had really great costume design. Yeah. I, I agree. Ma Rainey's black bottom has some really great costumes, but I think Mank is probably for me. I think this is going to be Mank's only win in uh, costume design. Uh, moving on to production design. Uh, the nominees are the father Mank, Ma Rainey's black bottom news of the world and tenant. John, who do you have winning production design uh, for this year? I have to go with Mank, just because that movie feels just directly out of that era. I think if you're making a film that's that old, like we're talking almost 100 years back in terms of the the time period that it takes place place in, and 
you know, there's one thing that could take you out of the movie, like whether it's a, a prop phone or a prop desk. Like, there's elements in a production design that can just completely pull you out of the experience, and I never felt that in Mank. I felt like everything was genuine. Like, they literally found sets that have just been sitting there, and they just kind of hopped in and sold it. Plus, you have the huge mansions that they uh, kind of, like, film in that represent uh, um, the really rich man. I'm blanking on his name. Oh, but, really, uh, William Randolph Hearst. Yes, with the Hearst Castle and all of that. It's really gorgeous. I mean, I don't know if they shot in Hearst Castle, but I don't really think so. Um, no. Re- amazing recreation of that castle. I've been there. It's really awesome. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's certainly a great film. And for those exact reasons John gave for why Mank should win is exactly why I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom should win. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom takes place a decade earlier than Mank. Uh, and, I, you know, it takes place um, it's based off of a play. And so, you know, for them to take the from the play and maybe some sets that they from previous um, adaptions of it uh, for the stage, they really did a great job with adding to the studio. It's like one, it's not one room, but it, it is mostly one room uh, in the film. I really like the griminess of it. There's this warm feeling. You know, you can feel the heat coming from the outside uh, of the building inside, you know, in the set, the way everything is set up. Uh, so for me, I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to take it, and I wouldn't be upset if Meng takes it. You, I, it's a flip of a coin for me there, but I, I think Ma Rainey uh, has that one. Moving on to Best Animated Feature, um, I don't even really need to say the nominees because it's pretty obvious Soul is going to win, but we'll say them anyways. So the nominees for Best Animated Feature are Onward, Over the Moon, uh, A Shaun the Sheep Movie, Farmageddon, Soul and Wolf Walkers. Uh, John, do you think Onward could have won uh, this year, Soul had not come out. I think Wolfwalkers would win if uh, Onward didn't come out. I heard Wolfwalkers is great. I haven't seen it yet. It's an HBO Max film, I believe. It's supposedly it's an Apple, uh, Apple, Apple. TV. That's what it is. Yeah. Apple, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be pretty great and, and really adorable with a great soundtrack. I really love Onward. Also, by Pixar is really touching and and beautiful. But Soul is just. I think Soul is so good that it should be nominated for Best Picture, Best. Uh, writing it is so phenomenal to me in terms of its animation so there you go it should win animated feature but everything really about that movie is just so touching and and beautiful that it should be a lock the way it is yeah it seems like soul is gonna be a lock and i think there's a ton of merit with what you're saying about um soul how it should be nominated more especially with such a uh a shallow group of movies to pick from this year i think soul really did stand out and it does feel like it's finally time that um that the Academy really starts to give like these animated features uh, some really good prominent awards. It probably won't happen, but uh, Soul definitely seems to have it in the bag. Uh, moving on. So we are now at the the top tier is what I like to call these um, categories. So we're going to start with Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, the nominees are, Bet- are Borat Subsequent Movie Film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. Um, I'll just say this first, uh, that if Borat subsequent movie film wins Best Adapted Screenplay, I think I really think John and I are going to lose our shit. Oh, my God. I, I saw that nomination and, and really all the nominations for this movie. And don't get me wrong. like The original Borat's great. This movie is really fun and, and cute, and I love the way it pointed and kind of poked fun at American politics and the kind of left and right separation that we have in our country now. But 
fuck this. Like, <laughs> this should not be an adapted screenplay. Like, for one, we immediately were like, how is this even an adapted screenplay? And it's because it's adapted on the character yeah, of it's Borat. Yeah, it's just based off of Borat is the reasoning for it. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's honestly offensive. Like, not only is that movie probably such a small script because most of it is just organic kind of happening and reacting to the situations. Like, I've watched a lot of interviews with Sasha Baron Cohen and how, you know, the script is essentially talking points. And the talking yeah. points are uh, you kind of get people to probe people to say certain things and then Borai can react in these certain ways. But that's not a fucking script. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that is not what a feature script is. Like, this should not be nominated. It's probably what pisses me off about any of these nominations. Because it's it's kind of ridiculous. It's so offensive to someone who sits down and writes maybe 300 pages of a script and goes so deep into characters, their thought, and being subtle, but having really like authentic, natural dialogue. It's so ridiculous that you could just say that Borat subsequent movie film is worthy of an adapted screenplay nomination. Like My pick here is not even a nomination at all. It's The Devil All the Time which is another Netflix film. And while Netflix is getting so much of the love this year, that is an amazing adapted screenplay directly from a book. And it uses direct voiceover in the book. And usually that's like a crutch and it leads to a a poor script and a poor movie. But I found the devil all the time to be so engaging and so beautiful and powerful by the end of it that I just, I couldn't believe that it has just been thrown on Netflix and not many people were talking about it other than, you know, eating some spiders. I I can just go on and on, but uh, tell me, Tell me what you're feeling, Ben. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree about Borat. I, I think it's bullshitty. Um, Devil All the Time could have been nominated for me, but I think the winner is Nomadland, and that's just based off of, um, you know, a lot of most Best Picture winners. So I'm going to give some numbers. Uh, so for all the Best Picture winners, um, 18 of them have won Best Original Screenplay, and 42 of them have won Best Adapted Screenplay. So that means 60 out of the 92 previous picture winners win a screenplay award so it's so to win a screenplay is indicative of that you're probably gonna win best picture um i feel like nomadland is the strongest out of these five um it's such a great story um you know i think you probably can tell what i'm gonna pick for best picture uh and i hope that we do get to do our 93rd episode of no of uh, worthy on Nomadland and to really dive deep more into the screenplay more of it. But I, I just think that uh, Nomadland is the strongest out of adapted screenplay. And it seems like all signs are pointing to that despite Borat being nominated, that it's not going to win. It's going to be Nomadland uh, taking home this award. Nomadland's, that's also a kind of a tricky thing for me too, just because I've heard about how loose her kind of structure is while she's filming. And I know there were not, there was a lot of like non-actors and I don't know, if they were directly given lines, I know some people were just like kind of interacted with Frances McDormand as if she was a real person. So it it feels like this category is just getting blurred. And it's just like how much of Nomadland was actually written down in a script? It's, well, it's based off of a book. By this, it is uh, based off of a book, but I know it was very loosely adapted where they kind of just followed Frances McDormand around. Yeah, so it's like. It, what of the script did we have beforehand and what did we finish with? It, it is it is a nonfiction book. It's yeah, it's probably pretty loose. Um, and I think that's actually what adds to a lot of the uh, importance and in uh, really the, the greatness, I would, for lack of a better word, of Nomadland is because it adds. So it, it is loose and it adds the, the real people into the film. It feels authentic, even though I hate using that word authentic when it comes to talking about movies. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like a. For no, I mean, adapted screenplay, original screenplay. It's it's such a 
weird category because they're over the years there have been movies in original screenplay that should have been adapted and adapted. Yeah. Should, that should have been original. Just forget the name adapted and original. I think just as a screenplay itself, Nomadland was very strong. Um, and, for, and, and I think it's just going to take it. For me, it's the way I look at adapted screenplay and the way I think it should be looked at. It's just how well is the material adapted to the screen? Like, and I think the father is probably a great representation. I haven't seen that, but I heard how well it kind of plays with perspective and, and Anthony Hopkins kind of lead performance kind of guiding us through that. And I'm sure that has an amazing kind of adaption from the book. And same with The White Tiger. I heard that's really engaging and, and a fun ride. One Night in Miami, I think, is uh, it seemed very similar in terms of the way it might have come from the stage onto the screen. So it's, you know it's a great script before it even became a screenplay. So, you know, maybe it gets that nod just cause it's, it's very well written in terms of its characters and its dialogue and it's kind of a plot structure that's kind of maintained as if it were on a stage. But to me, that's not that interesting and that's not that much of an adaptation in general. It's, it felt pretty similar to the way it would have appeared on stage. And that's why I just kind of drove home that the devil all the time is the best adaptation of the year because it took a book and it, it used a lot of the book's elements, but still it made a film and it made a film that was damn good in my opinion. So for you, is it, um, if a movie that's a nominee for adapted screenplay is not based off of a book, is it harder for you to swallow a pill that it deserves to be there? No, cause I don't read books that often. So <laughs> I probably haven't read the book. No, but I mean, I would have to go through and like look at nominations or winners that were based on other things, but you know how many other things could it be based on? I mean, the fact that Borat is literally an adapted screenplay just because of the first film and his yeah. character existing is pretty ridiculous to me. Yeah, no, that well, that that instance is ridiculous. There's a a ton of things that have uh, gone on over the years, um, but it it is what it is for this year. But um, but yeah, so. Um, I think Nomadland is going to win. John would have picked the devil all the time to at least have been nominated uh, for this. And it um, it just kind of seems like Nomadland is going to take it. Moving on to best original screenplay. Um, the nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Before we even give our answers to this, what a great group of um, of picks. And, and there's no Mank nomination for this category. And that felt like kind of a, whoa, that should have been there. Um, yeah, it felt like a blow to Fincher's gut since it was written by his father. Yeah. Mainly. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense that it wasn't nominated. I think there's more room for other films here. Especially for getting 10 nominations in total. Yeah, you to know, not give it to it, that. Yeah, yeah but it, it doesn't seem like it would have won necessarily. Um, so out of these five, John, which one do you have winning Best Original Screenplay? Well, I have my favorite being The Trials of Chicago 7. I think this is a category that's it's pretty hard. It seems pretty up in the air in terms of what might win. Judas and the Black Messiah I don't really think is going to go home with much other than maybe an acting award, so it could go to that. But in terms of my favorite, The Trials of Chicago 7 is, is insanely well written. Um, while it's kind of based around true life events, it struggles with being a movie that's a little over two hours while juggling so many characters, judging, ju- juggling huge political like motifs and ideas while also having like fun. It's honestly one of the funniest movies I think I've seen all year. There's so many funny lines and, and witty dialogue. You know, what else can you expect uh, from such a prolific, great writer? But yeah, I got to go with the trial of Chicago 7. How about you, Ben? Yeah, I... 
I was leaning towards there, and I think that it probably is going to win because Aaron Sorkin's great. There's just no denying that. And again, like John said, it it's a fun script. There's they do such a great job balancing all these characters. It feels like everyone has a distinct and unique voice uh, in the film. But I actually have Judas and the Black Messiah. That's my pick for right now. And I th- think one part of that was just to be a little bit different. And another part of that is that I actually think that the the plot line and the story structure of Judas and the Black Messiah is very unique. And also, again, like it's Aaron Sorkin has already won. He's great. Maybe we'll give some love to some other people. And uh, Judas and the Black Messiah just, I thought, was a very, uh, the way everything is interweaved, I thought it was very profound with a lot of things that they were they were saying and, and talking about. They It makes some great points. And I think that, um, with, I think that it was, again, like screenplay goes so hand in hand with performances and we got some really good performances out of Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya, um, from that film. And I just feel like as a surprise and maybe as a hopeful pick, Judas and the Black Messiah could take it home, but it's probably going to be Aaron Sorkin for the trial of Chicago seven, uh, which sets up the whole, like, well, which, which of these two movies are going to win? Cause it, it does feel like Nomadland, the trial of Chicago seven are the two quote-unquote frontrunners for best picture moving on to uh probably the most heated category uh for john and i and for a lot of people and that is best supporting actress um the nominees are maria bakalava for borat subsequent film glenn close for hillbilly elegy olivia coleman for the father amanda seyfried for mank and yu jung yun for minari um uh, definitely just going to throw this out there. If Maria Bakalava wins Best Supporting Actress, I really am going to go nuts and, and go wild because that is not a, a a performance that was that great. It's a, yeah, she got into a room with Rudy Giuliani and made him, you know, reveal himself, even though we probably all should have known that. Like, yeah, she had to put herself in these situations. But that style of acting and that character has been done multiple times across so many different TV shows and movies and in and, and so many comedies. I don't think Maria Bakalava gave a performance of a lifetime. Yeah, she was in probably a stressful situation at times, but then if she deserves best supporting actress, then then fucking Sasha Barncorn should be best actor for Borat. And uh it's just I, I just do not want her to win. I think it's I think it's a slap in the face to so many great actresses uh if she wins. I'm sure she's a great person, but Maria Bakalava should not win Best Supporting Actress this year. I believe why Borat's even nominated is to just get more eyes on the show. I, I think it's it was probably the most talked about film out of any of these, just as a movie in general that people spoke about just because of, you know, you said it like the Rudy Gianni and all the goofy moments, and Borat is such a huge cultural icon uh, for our country here as well. So, you know, a lot of acting is reacting and, that's what she does throughout the film is kind of react and kind of prod and poke uh, real life people and not really actors. I think this is more okay for me than the actual screenplay nomination, just because that just seems kind of offensive to me while Maria Bakalova actually has a performance here and actually plays a character that she kind of has to carry. It's a little weird because it's not, it's really hard to relate her to all these other performances because it's, they're just direct script to screen and, and it's not like you know you could really improv as much as uh, you can on a Borat movie obviously but my favorite here is definitely uh, Yu Jun Yoon and I love Minari and she had such like a subtle performance and 
she was this cute little endearing grandma that you know is at the point of her age where she doesn't really give a fuck what anyone thinks about her she just lives her life in the way that she thinks she should live in and she smokes and she <laughs> loves all these different games that she plays and you know the, the reveal that we get later on i won't spoil anything I, we're trying not to spoil any of the movies here but she gives such a heartbreaking performance and it's really tragic and beautiful and i think it's so worthy of best supporting actress yeah 100 uh, percent, and especially in a year where there's a ton of um asian and asian american love uh, this feels like a, an obvious win for me as well for uh, Yeo Jung Yun. Uh, for Minari, I definitely, that's my pick. I feel like she should win. It's the most standout performance. Uh, I don't, did you see Hillbilly Elegy? No, I heard very mixed things. It's, it's awful. Yeah, it, I've heard, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I mean, it's up for, I mean, that's the thing. It has people, a Razzie as yeah, well. As best yeah, actress, well, Glenn right? Close specifically is up for a Razzie, and she's in this category, and I know that she's Glenn Close. I get it that, um, be, and I think this year, um, if she if she loses, she would tie Peter O'Toole, I think, with eight nominations without a win, <laughs> which like it sucks to be like in that category. And Peter O'Toole should have an Oscar. He should have freaking won for Lawrence of Arabia. That's not here nor there. The point is, is that just because like it, she shouldn't be in this category, like it's not a good film. She her performance is like, yeah, she dressed up like a, you know, like a white trash, you know, grandma and like okay like that's fine but it's nothing like that's really good so i hope she doesn't win um olivia coleman i ha- again haven't seen the father people have been speculating that she could take it that she was really good i have to see it and amanda seyfried was really good in mank and it, it felt before i saw minari that uh, that amanda seyfried was probably going to take this but again yo jung yun is probably going to take it for uh for minari and i hope so and i swear to god if it's maria bakalava i am going to go fucking wild <laughs> If it's her, it's it's clear that it's just a decision yeah. to like push the the actual ceremony. There's yeah. no way, especially when especially after knowing that Glenn Close eight nominations and no wins, and Maria Bakalava wins over her. Wins yeah. over her is so stupid and so bad. Moving on uh, to best supporting actor, which again, like another fun race to look at. There's there's some really strong nominees this year. Um, so the nominees are Sasha Byrne Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Ricci for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Really quickly on Leslie Odom Jr., though. So he is now the fourth person uh, to be nominated for uh, song and an acting category. Um, this has been only been done you know, by four people, and it's actually been done all four years in a row of recent so we had Mary J. Blige for Mudbound in 2017, Lady Gaga for A Star is Born, and Cynthia Erivo for 2019 uh, for her film. Harriet, Barbara Streisand, she was the first recognized nominee to receive nominations in both categories, but they were for different films. This is just for people who are getting nominated for an acting and a song category. Um, and Leslie Odom Jr. becomes the fourth person to do that. Uh, so for Speak Now for Best Song and then in Best Supporting Actor category, um, so that's one thing about Leslie Odom Odin Jr. He was great as Sam Cooke in the movie, but he's not going to win. Uh, we can cross off Paul Ricci off the list, even though Paul Ricci, I know you haven't seen Sound of Metal yet, John. Paul Ricci gave an amazing performance in Sound of Metal. Absolutely amazing. I was I was in tears in one of the scenes uh, because of his performance, and you just have to see it to understand that. Then we got uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in The Child of Chicago 7, where he played Abby Hoffman. Again, like another great performance. 
and that leaves us with Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. And I know you just watched Juice and the Black Messiah. Uh, so initially, just out of those two, which one did you like more? It's really tough because, I mean, there's there's issues with people saying that they're even nominated. Lakeith Stanfield is definitely the lead in that movie. I think he should be nominated. Is for, he the lead? Because that because yeah. I actually yeah, felt it's told that, from his whole perspective. Yeah, I think he's the lead. But Kaluuya has it opens like, and starts with him. Yeah, I, I know, but lead. it feels like Kaluuya is like the lead guy. No, it's just the movie. It's just yeah. like the character that people know about the most. So I think that's why people would say he's the lead. But no, I think in the definitely the movie's all about his character, and. I don't know. Between it's the two weird, of them. It's really weird. Yeah, it's it's hard to pick. I mean, I originally had Daniel Kaluuya as my favorite. I think he's going to win. But honestly, out of these five, I think Sasha Baron Cohen's performance is my favorite because he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's really abrasive, um, but also funny at the same time. And I, it seemed from all retrospectives that he's really kind of idealized and, and represented that real life person very well in the film and is I know as a character that he's wanted to play for so long so that would be really awesome to see him win that because I think he's been in the runnings to, to play that character for like almost 20 years now at this point but um yeah it's most like Kalua that's it's probably going to take it home from what I've heard yeah I uh I again I think Sasha Barracone was really great I thought Daniel Kaluuya was really great he's probably going to win it but I actually feel like Lakeith Stanfield was the better performance out of Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, if you ever talk to me about uh, about The Departed, I'll always say that Leo's performance in The Departed was the best performance he's ever given. And and it goes wow. into... No, I, I, wow. I, I sincerely believe that. Okay. Uh, I think... I, I feel that with the character that, that Leo plays and that Lakeith plays in those films, they are people that have to go undercover. They have to you know, fit into this whole situation and they still have to be themselves in other scenes and then still transform to these other characters within the film. So they're essentially playing these two different roles. They're acting within the acting. And so for me, Lakeith Stanfield really reminded me of Leo's performance in The Departed. And I loved Leo in that film. Uh, it was very raw and emotional. And I just feel like Lakeith has that that same like mindset you have to be in to, to be undercover, to have to perform just right on the spot. And again, which I guess you could say is the reason why Maria Bakalava should win for Borat, but that it's it's totally different. It's totally different uh, films and movies. Um, so, but yeah, it seems like Daniel Kaluuya is going to win, uh, but we have uh, some other people that we probably would have picked over him, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Moving on to best actress category. Uh, this one is a is another fun one. Uh, so many different things. First, uh, the nominees are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andre Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Before we get into our picks and how we feel about that, these are some great facts. Viola Davis being nominated for Best Actress is now the most nominated black actress ever with four acting nominations and two in the best actress category. She has one win for fences for best supporting actress. Viola Davis is a phenomenal actress. If you've ever seen the TV show, uh, how to get away with murder, she kills it. in and that as well, she was great in fences. She was really great. In Ma Rainey's black bottom. Uh, so some huge, huge love to Viola Davis. And then the other fun fact I wanted to bring up was Frances McDormand. Frances McDormand has two, uh, best Actress uh, wins, and if she was to win this year, she would have three, and that would put her in sole possession of second place of the most awarded 
female in the best actress category. Meryl Streep, I know, has won three, but she won two for best actress and one for best supporting actress. So if Frances McDormand wins, she would only trail Catherine Hepburn for most uh, best actress wins, and Catherine Hepburn has four. So really prestigious company to be in. Not many people have even three acting awards, so she's definitely up there. But we don't think that she's going to win. We don't think Viola Davis is going to win. John, who is going to win Best Actress this year? I think Carrie Mulligan is going to win and for Promising Young Woman, and that is probably my favorite uh, female lead performance this year. I loved her complex character. You know, you know from the minute you see her, you know, what kind of ideology she has, what she's going for, but you don't really understand how complex and, and I don't want to say manipulative, but she's manipulative to herself and to the people around her, but yet you really root for her and you love her and you, you want to see her win in this movie and you want to see her like get her justice that she thinks that uh, some of the women in the, or some of the characters in the film, you know, don't really get, but she just carries it. I think Frances McDormand is, is pretty great in Nomadland. You know, it's obviously a film she has to carry. Uh, I haven't finished Pieces of a Woman or seen The United States versus Billy Holiday, so I can't really speak on that. Obviously, Viola Davis carries Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Every scene she's in, you can't take her eyes off of her. She's so energetic, and, and obviously her character is so, you know, in-your-face and aggressive, but you love—she's the perfect actress for that character. Um, but yeah, I got to go with Carrie Mulligan. She's such a complex character, so you already get that plus one. Plus, she just kills the performance. She's even in the subtle scenes, you you kind of have to read her face and her eyes, and yeah, amazing. I love that movie. Yeah, I I love Carrie Mulligan. She's there's this uh, uneasiness about her, and and we, me and John have talked about you know this fascination um, with villains in film, and especially with the Oscars, where they'll tend to take these fringe you know society characters and and given the win you know i can think of like um kathy bates for misery you know you can even point to heath ledger of the joker i mean that's an extreme that carrie mulligan doesn't go to but she gives a very haunting performance it is it it, it goes it goes from zero to 100 with her so many times throughout the film and, it, and yeah she really carries it it's a very unique performance and and you know out of recent memory for best actress winners this is probably one of the better ones I've seen. Um, you know, we did have Frances McDormand for three billboards, Emma Stone for La La Land. But really, outside of that, within like the last like five, six, seven years, I can't think of a performance for Best Actress that was like, that really stands out like Carrie Mulligan's. Yeah, it's, it's really phenomenal. I'm excited to talk more about Promising Young Woman as we go further along here. And, yeah, can't go wrong with some mulligan. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's great. Uh, moving on to Best Actor, another fun-filled uh, category. Um, so the nominees are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yun for Minari. Uh, the biggest thing that really does stand out about this is that we have uh, we have two Asian actors nominated, which is that's the first time ever. Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim to be nominated for Best Actor. Um, we had Omar Sharif for Lawrence of Arabia back in the 60s. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And then Mahershal Ali, uh, he won two Best, Act, Best Supporting Actor uh, awards for um, Green Book and, um, and Moonlight. But uh, he was, that was not a Best Actor uh, nomination. Uh, so 
really great. And then Steven Young is also the first Asian American actor to be nominated for best actor. Uh, so initially, John, just thoughts on on that and just this pool of actor of these five actors uh, to begin with. Well, the fact that Steven Yun is the first Asian American um, nomination for best actor is, is really depressing. I mean, the fact that <laughs> there has been more representation in, in that category is frankly really embarrassing for the Academy. Uh, it's great to see him here for Minari. He gives such a subtle, beautiful performance. Gary Oldman, you know, come on. He's great. He's going to make the list. He's not going to win, but he's there. He's great, you know. Anthony Hopkins, I heard he's fantastic. Still haven't seen it yet. Riz Ahmed, same. I still haven't seen it. Also heard he's fantastic. It's hard not to go with Chadwick Boseman. You know, he is, you know, sadly not with us anymore. And, you know, he had this great performance that really kind of sinks and ends that film really powerfully. But for me, my favorite performances, I'm kind of stuck between the two. Ty, um, I've talked about Bad Education previously, but Hugh Jackman's lead performance in that is my favorite performance probably of the year. It's it's so powerful. It's so dark. It's it's light and dark at the same time, and he hides everything so well, and he presents everything to the camera. Uh, it's unbelievable. Like go watch Bad Education, and also I want to give a shout out to uh, Benny Affleck. I love Ben. Who- and I love The Way Back, which he's the lead for. And that whole film has kind of gone unrepresented. I think it's worthy of even screenplay nominations. He's fan, fan freaking tastic. I think it may even be his best performance. So go check out The Way Back. Yeah, so it definitely seems like Chadwick Boseman is going to be taking home this award. Uh, it's such a, it's very sad what happened with him. It's very sad that he not only will not be around to get this award, but the fact that he leaves so much behind and, and he had so much to look forward to as 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 an actor as as an advocate um, for so many things so it's very sad but it seems like Chadwick Boseman is going to win this award posthumously so he's now the seventh actor to receive a posthumous nomination um, if and when he wins he become the second actor to receive a best actor uh, award win so he'd be joining Peter Finch for network um heath ledger was a best supporting actor winner for the dark knight uh, in 2008 um so he would join a i won't call it a prestigious prestigious group of people because it's very sad that we lost uh you know some fine artists and actors and actresses but um yeah chavik bozeman is probably gonna be the third posthumous winner uh for an acting award um and it's very well deserved if you have not seen ma rainey's black bottom you definitely should just to see Chadwick perform and you'll understand why people love him and why he's just great, just great as a person. Um, So moving on, uh, we are at the Best Director Award. The nominees are Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Thomas Vinterberg for another round. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram, um, there was a uh, a bold prediction made that four out of the five nominees would be a woman slash person and or person of color. Uh, so we had three out of the five, you know, kind of reach that between Chloe Zhao, Emerald Fennell, and Lee Isaac Chung. It's the first time that we have two women directors nominated uh, for this category. And we also have two um, Asian uh Asians, you know, nominated for this category, they would be joining Bong Joon Ho and Ang Lee, or Ang Lee, uh, excuse me, for um, that honor of being a Asian director. 
and nominated. And um, so any initial thoughts about seeing this? There's uh, a big omission there, Aaron Sorkin not being there for Trial Chicago 7. I think that really stands out. But anything really stand out to you before we give our pick for best director? I think, again, it's pretty sad that it's, you know, first time two females are nominated for best director. You know, you want to see more representation. I think this is a good start here. And I think Promising Young Woman and Nomadland are great films to kind of represent and and have two women here that uh, are nominated for best director. I think Sorkin, you know, that's directing's not his his sweet spot. Trial of Chicago 7 is... I would say well directed because it's a lot of things that it's struggling as we talked about why I think it's going to win best screenwriting but I think a lot of the work and most of his work is done on the page you know and he follows the page probably to a T from what I've heard and that's exactly what translates into his films and I think that's why he's such a great writer but I don't think he's the best director there could have been you know more visual things and and some nuances that could have been kind of uh, sanded out if he um we're a, a slightly better director and I think he's getting better. I think it's better than his last film, uh, Molly's game. And I can't wait for his next. So I will go into my pick out of the five. I think my favorite here is promising young woman. And I'll talk more about promising young woman for the best picture category because it is nominated there. But the reason why I chose this for my best directing and it's the reason why I think Fennel should win is because this film is, is so complex. And a lot of people talk about directing, Um, really kind of focusing and specifically guiding the tone for films. It's about guiding characters, actors, you know, the set and every kind of department on a film and and getting them on the same page and having them understand what's going on, what's this leading to the next scene, the arc that's ending, whatever it may be in a film, it's really challenging to do. And it's especially challenging to do to make a film that has essentially multiple genres. It's a really genre bending film and it, kind of balances uh, almost like a rom-com at points it almost feels like a slasher at points it's definitely a really engaging thriller that's like yet filled with tons of laughs it's really impressive that she made this movie and none of it felt cheap it didn't fall apart it's honestly crazy that it's even nominated because I think it's such a weird movie in terms of its genre and where it fits and how indie it feels but I love that it's there I hope she wins and I hope she takes it home but it looks like that uh Chloe Zhao and Nomadland are going to take the bag home for Best Director. Yeah, it, it certainly seems that way. Uh, it's awesome to see Promising Young Woman on there. I know that Emerald uh, Fennel had tweeted out a... Uh, she was so surprised uh, about the nomination. I don't think she was expecting it. It's awesome to see two women to be nominated for this, and it, it hopefully leads to a bigger change, and, and this happens more and more frequently, and hopefully we'll have a, a year when all five are women directors. But I do think that this will be the year where we have our second... Um, our second uh, women director winning, and that would be Chloe Zhao. She would also be the third Asian uh, director to win um, for the award. I think the Nomad Land again, like we're talking about tone. There's this, there's this empty tone in it that really is what is what gets me into it. And I, you know, there's so many. There are a few best picture winner, best picture winners that it reminds me of. It reminds me of Midnight Cowboy. It's this like fringe society. It's this out of place world within this like picture of America. Um, and I think that that is built up upon Chloe Zhao's choices, the way she directs these real life people, you know, these real people who are nomads who are traveling in these home vans. Um, and so the way she's able to not only direct them, but also to take a powerhouse like Frances McDormand and make her subtle and make her not be this, you know, when you look at her two other performances in Fargo and, and three billboards, she's this like 
jumps right out of the screen, Frances McDormand. But in this, she's very reeled back, and I think that has to do with Chloe Zhao's choices and the, and the collaboration on it. Um, so I just think that and feel, and it seems like that that she's going to take home the Best Director Award. Uh, so before we jump into Best Picture, there's some few fun facts and, and stats and numbers that we haven't touched upon yet um, that we just should. So 70 women have received a total of 76 nominations this year, which is a record for any Oscar year. It's amazing. Uh, the most nominations for any company, production company, whatever, is Netflix with 35 nominations. Uh, so that's really has to do with Mank, The Trial of Chicago 7, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Hillbilly Elegy. We also have costume designer Anne Roth for Ma, Rain for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She ties the record for the oldest nominee at 89. Um, so really great to see, uh, you know, some you know older people getting, you know, these this recognition. Um, and yeah, so it's like a, ve it's a very diverse year. It's awesome to see so many different people nominated it to see a, a total shift in, in movement away from the Oscar so white that this really feels like a huge correction there are um, some movies that have been snubbed we've mentioned like bad education devil all the time the way back uh, thankfully uh, Malcolm Marie did not get any nomination I hated that movie um, so much that uh, I don't think it should have been nominated at all. I think both of those leads could have could have snuck in. No, they, that, I think if the film was better, they deserved it. But I think they had great performances still. I I disagree. <laughs> I think it's very over the top and and very preachy in ways that I don't like. And but that's uh, like the script, though, right? That's not the acting. Script and acting goes hand in hand for me. I mean, but you have to. I don't know. It just goes. It just goes both ways. And so I'm just happy just to not see it there because I was actually. Something I was very fearful where I was going to get too much love that um, more than it deserved. Moving on, though, to the best picture category. Again, the nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. John, who is your pick for the best picture of the 93rd Academy Awards? So out of the actual nominees here, I think my favorite picture is Minari. I think it's so subtle. It creates this beautiful world, and it's not preachy in the way that it's trying to push messages. It's bringing us down into nature and really kind of having us observe and watch this American family kind of struggle and, and build to something that... Um, you know, that's really just all perceived notion in our head, what the American dream is, is really beautiful and powerful. And I felt Nomad Land's kind of like clunky in certain parts where characters kind of took me out of it because they were kind of just like preaching to our main character about how being a nomad has changed their life. And I really enjoyed the film, but I, I kept getting taken out of the, the film constantly. Mank just, it just felt way too long and, and just way too kind of like full of itself in a lot of parts. Still haven't seen the father Judas and the black Messiah was, was good. I just don't see it really winning or getting close to winning sound of metal. I still haven't seen the trial of Chicago seven is fantastic, but uh, I think there could have been more to kind of enhance the film there. Promising young woman. I, I just, I really, really, really love that movie. The fact that it's even nominated here for best picture, I think is pretty insane. It's, it has such a crazy arc in that movie, and it's so bold, and there's not many movies like it, so I really love that it's nominated here for that. 
But if I want to actually talk about my favorite movie of the year, it is what I've gushed about so much on this short little podcast here. It's Bad Education. I think you should go watch Bad Education. I really love it. Uh, Besides that, I really loved uh, Bad Education. It's probably number one for me. Number two, it's a toss-up. I really love The Way Back, and then number three is probably Soul. So how about you? Out of nominations first, uh, what was your favorite? Uh, So nominations first. So... uh I, I think that Nomadland is go, is going to take it. Uh, I said it before, sort of spoiled it before. I think Nomadland is going to take it. Again, it reminds me of a movie like Midnight Cowboy, where, again, it's talking about the, the fringe of society, this part of the world that a lot of people shy away from, and, and myself included. And so it's really it's nice to see a film open up my eyes, open up my horizons, not just uh, you know really in the world, but also in the way it's shot. It's a very open film. It's it's beautiful. Francis McDormand is really great in it. Um, the again, the tone, the writing, the feel of it has everything that I could want. And and for this very weird year of uh, a filmmaking, it just seems like the film that's going to take it. Um, going down, haven't seen The Father yet, so I, that hasn't. That's, again, it's a movie I've heard lots of great things about. Got to see it. I love Judas and the Black Messiah. It's really great to see it nominated here. Mank, as you said before, it's, uh, it's it is a little full of itself. I actually think Fincher was, if we didn't have Nomadland, I actually think Fincher might have taken home Best Director because that movie is all about Fincher's direction. I still think there's a possibility he might take home Best Director, honestly. It would be kind of out of the norm for someone to win Best Director and then win Best Picture, right? It would be out of the norm that he would win instead of Zhao, but I still see that they give a nod to him. I, I think there's a possibility that happens. Well, recent... Of, with recent trends that probably would be the case there has been a lot of you know someone who wins best director but then they don't win best picture of recent memory uh, again it's another award that is very common for for best picture winners i don't i don't think it's going to happen i i would be mildly surprised if it does happen just because i feel like nomadland has so much momentum um uh, but but going back to best picture uh i think it's gonna be nomadland i love minari minari really stands out to me um i I, it could have a shot. I, it could have a shot. I don't think it has enough uh, enough with a wider audience that people are going to really love it, um, like like a parasite, you know, because it is subtitled and and you know, famously, uh, Bong Joon Ho said last year, you know, if you just get above that inch of wording, you'll open up your eyes to so many other great things, and that's how Minari is. Um, Promising Young Woman might actually be my favorite movie of the year. I really loved Promising Young Woman. I'm shocked that it's here. Um, and it deserves to be here, but I don't think it's going to win. Sound of Metal, I loved it. It, um, I know that there are some people in the deaf community who who aren't at, who don't like it because it's not, uh, it wasn't inclusive towards people who are deaf in in the leading roles, um, which is unfortunate. But I still do want to say at the same time that I do think that it is an advocate for people with hearing loss or and who are deaf. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that, like that, that those people should shut up and, and they don't know what they're saying. They, they're totally 100% right. Um, but at the same time, I do think that Sound of Metal is a, is a great movie and, um, it has a good voice and then the trial of Chicago Shevin, uh, seems like the, the presumptive second place, if not Nomadland to win, it probably would be Chicago seven. I remember first watching it. I was like, that has all the pieces that you could want out of a best picture winner. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, but the, the ending with yeah. like, the camera kind of craning out, everyone's cheering as he gives this beautiful speech yeah. to everyone. I was like, "Oh, that's that's a best picture winner right there." I could, <laughs> yeah, I could feel it. Yeah, I think it probably would have won best picture if not in our in the world that we live in, where diversity is uh, brought up to the forefront of what is important, and it, and it is important. Um, Chicago Seven is a very white movie. I know that it has some. Sub, subplots with the Black Panther and um, Fred Hampton, um, but it is a very white narrative. Uh, yeah, I mean the characters are mainly white, though. That's the thing. It, yeah. it could have dove into Black Panther Party more and spoke more about that, but we have Judas and the Black Messiah here as well, which is kind of similar in terms of story. I mean, I mean, Nomadland is an insanely white movie. I don't even think there's any person of color in that entire movie. Right? No, I agree. I agree with that. I do agree. So with that. I, I don't, th- know. and I think that, but but I think that's different. Is that because it's about people who? It's about poor people, you know, for lack of a better word. It, you know, it's about people who are hard down. It's about it's about older people. So there's that ageism aspect of it. It's about people who are at the towards the end of their lives and they they feel lost and they and they don't know what what to do because unfortunately the politics of this country has decimated you know post re, you know retirement life for so many people, which is why they have to going these vans which is why they have to take up these odd jobs here and there and not just being able to live as normal people and that's the politics of nomad land and that and that's why it's it's such a compelling movie you know yes the trial of chicago seven and Jews and the black messiah have such strong messages for um for black power and, and black lives matter and and for change in this country and it's a both politically well-made driven films uh but nomad land i think speaks a little bit more to um to, uh, it's a little bit more modern uh, in terms of what it's talking about, and it's a different subject matter that still ties into so many people who are going to see this movie. Um, yeah, so just for me, Nomadland is the Best Picture winner uh, for the 93rd Academy Awards. Uh, John, any final thoughts before this our nomination wrap-up um, ends? Yeah, I'll add a little bit more to Nomadland. I think you're totally right that it's probably going to win, and it's probably leaning towards that specifically because of you know, the more we see in these Oscars is kind of the period of time, the year, or the year before that uh, the Academy Awards happen. It's usually in reference to the way the country, the way certain people are feeling around the world. And I think Nomad Land really hits that on the head where you're talking about wealth disparity, the same way that last year's winner Parasite won, which is a film really all about wealth disparity and, um, you know, the underappreciated or the under uh, kind of looked at society of the world. And I think Nomad Land, Nomad Land does that uh, very well. And it really hits the head, I think, this past year with COVID, where a lot of people that are older were dying because of this sickness. And it uh, kind of what I would imagine made a lot of people think about their lives and think about how they could easily lose their life from an invisible virus. And they were probably thinking, hey, you know, I, I could have done a lot more things in my life that I told myself I was going to do, but I never did. And I think that's a lot of these characters in the film kind of represent the people that say, you know, I have this amount of time to live. I wanted to do this and I never did. And I'm actually doing this for myself to, to heal from, you know, whatever it may be, a personal loss or personal tragedy. It's a really powerful film, and I think you can't overlook that. And I think it makes sense kind of politically why it would win as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so we just have to wait and see uh, what will happen uh, come April in a month um, when, they, uh, when, the, when it's all announced and we find out. 
Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, this is a special edition episode. We will do another one when after the Academy Awards does happen, but at least this will fill the time in between. And we also have new episodes coming out every other week. Episode six of the Main Worthy podcast is coming out next Friday. So thank you for listening. I'm Ben. And I'm John. And, and this, this is Worthy. worthy. Thanks for listening to Worthy, the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to worthysubmissions at gmail.com. Again, that's worthysubmissions at gmail.com.